Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Some stuff that I want to get into today. I'm going to be talking about the Golden Globe nominations and what that means for award season. Some new news regarding the new Nolan film Oppenheimer. And of course, the brand new trailer that just came out for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. But the first thing that I do want to talk about on the podcast today is to get into a show that just wrapped up its second season on Sunday, and it's one that is probably one of the most popular shows on TV right now, and that, of course, is the second season of The White Lotus that just wrapped up on HBO, and I was a big fan of the first season. I was looking forward to this upcoming season and, and seeing if if Mike White, who is the creator, director, writer of this whole show, could follow up what he did in that first season, which it's amazing to hear kind of the production of, of that show and that it was basically just... Mike White wanted to do a show during the pandemic and it turned into this whole big cultural phenomenon last year and, and it, it, it gained critical acclaim when a platitude of Emmy Awards and was just a show that I think a lot of people were into and so I was looking forward to seeing what the second season was going to be about another great cast that included the return of Jennifer Coolidge who won the Emmy for Best Supporting Actress in a Limited Series you had people such as Arby Plaza Megan Fahey, Michael Imperioli Haley Lou Richardson, the this goes on and on. Theo James, who was in this cast. So it was another great stacked cast to be part of this season. And I really enjoyed what came out of overall in season two. And not to get into any spoilers, but I think if you were to watch this show as a whole binge throughout one day, it's only seven episodes the second season, I think that would be better than watching it kind of week to week. I think it's one of those shows that just keeps building and building and building. And then the final episode or two, it just explodes into this, all these storylines kind of come together in, in some kind of a way and just kind of just explode into just this craziness that you, I don't think anybody could see coming. And I like the twist that Mike White takes with these with the final couple episodes here. But to get to that point, he kind of builds a lot of this tension and 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 really kind of, I think, digs deep into some of the things that go on in, in kind of the world and society. And I think last season even talks about it in the behind the scenes of this of the season was that season one was about money and, and wealth and class. This season is very much about sex and power and and dynamics between couples. And I think he really kind of does a good job in layering these throughout all these different storylines that kind of go on throughout the season. And you're going to get a ton of awards once again for this season. I think, again, Jennifer Coolidge is going to be nominated, Arby Plaza, Megan Fahey could get nominated, F. Murray Abraham. There's a lot of people that I think could get some award season love throughout this show. And I just think it, it it's a it's a show that you can binge, like I was saying before, but again, it's a water cooler kind of show where each week there's a whole lot of stuff to talk about and people were kind of theorizing and seeing what could happen and you would never expect that with a show like this. So I really was looking forward to seeing what Mike White would be able to deliver and I think he did a great job with that. I think this was another awesome season. I can't wait for season three and once again, HBO just continues to churn out this incredible content that when you look at the premise of a show like this, you would think... How is a show that is about these couples or these people that are on this in this resort for seven days talking about all these different kind of real life issues that are going on in today? Is, is how is it going to work and how is it going to be effective? And he's just able to deliver on on dark comedic moments that are funny, but also layer in some dramatic, serious themes and 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 moments and stories and make it all kind of mix and, and earn itself at the very end. So I think this is a, a great season of TV, and I'm excited to see where season three goes of The White Lotus. What did you guys think about the season? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now to move on to some movie news in the world of Hollywood. Of course, what's happening right now over the last couple of weeks and leading into the next couple of months is award season as we gear up for the 95th Annual Academy Awards. And one thing that was kind of non-existent last year that is coming back to some kind of prominence this year are the Golden Globes. And last year, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association was very much under fire for a lot of the the 
inclusivity that they do not have within their rankings. Specifically, there were no black members that the Los Angeles Times uncovered in multiple pieces early last year in 2021. And so really the last year, year and a half, they didn't have a live telecast of the Golden Globes. NBC nixed it last year. It was basically a social media presence, but it was very much non-existent in the award season. Nobody was promoting it, marketing it. It was non-existent and for good reason. And so a lot of people were wondering if this year people would come back to the Golden Globes and NBC is going to be putting it out there for at least one, this year. So they basically had a long-term extension with the Hollywood Foreign Press, the Golden Globes. That was basically nixed and they're basically on a year-by-year basis to see how they perform. So this year's Golden Globes is very much under a microscope for what the future of the award ceremony is going to be in down the down the pipeline, basically. So it's going to be very interesting to see if the the voting body, which is now made up of of of, of people of color, and how that is going to be able to maybe change some of the nominations. Maybe it's going to be more inclusive in some areas than others and yesterday was the telling test because yesterday were the nominations for this year's Golden Globes and it's very interesting to see some things are similar and you can maybe see some of the changes that were involved because of the expanding body that is with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association right now so we're going to very much focus on the the movie stuff right now but I do want to focus on some of the other TV aspects I'll run some of that down as well but right now we're going to focus on the movies and how this affects potentially the Oscar season. And I always say this every single year that we talk about the Golden Globes, but even though the Globes quote-unquote kickoff award season where you have the Globes, the SAGs, and of course the Oscars from January to March, or usually it's January to February, but because of circumstances over the last couple of years, the Academy Awards have been extended to March and April the last couple of years. So regardless, very much the Golden Globes kick off the unofficial official ceremony award season leg of, of the year. And so this year, it's going to be, very, again, very interesting to see where things kind of come up against it. But usually <clears throat> the Hollywood Foreign Press is its own entity and the Oscars and the Academy are completely separate. They don't have any overlap whatsoever. And again, I usually say when it comes to precursors, and this also applies to the Globes as well, it gives a a feeling for what other people could be looking at and what what are the titles, what are the names that are coming up that could potentially be solidified with this. And if anything, the Golden Globes used to be a place where if you were picked by the Hollywood Foreign Press and you did win, it was a good way to to make an impression upon people because people who are at the ceremony, a lot of them are involved in the Oscars and a lot of them are involved in the Academy and people who watch the the Golden Globes are people who are involved in the Academy as well. So it's a good way to make a first impression when making a speech or or kind of getting your name out or your movie out there. So that's really what it is used for. It's a big campaign presser tour, basically. It's, it's a big, extravagant campaign stop for the most part. And that's really what the Globes has come over the years. And so the same thing I think is going to apply this year as well. Just the big question is going to be who is actually going to be coming out to this award ceremony this year. So we'll see where that goes. That's another question for a few weeks from now, but right now we're going to be focusing on the nominees and just to kind of go right off the bat when we're talking about who had the biggest morning for in terms of the movies, the first one is of course the one who totaled the most Emmys or the most Globes, excuse me, out of the movies this year. And of course the first one is going to be The Banshees of Inishirin, which was written directed by Martin McDonough, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, multiple acting nominations across the board, also nominated for picture, writing, directing so eight nominations there everything everywhere all at once coming came in with six nominations babylon and the fame women's came in with five then elvis and guillermo del toro's pinocchio along with tar came in at three nominations as well so those are the kind of big winners on the movie side when it comes to the golden globes to get into some of the surprises kind of right off the bat, or actually rather, before I even get into to the surprises, I'm going to go over the nominees real quick in some of these categories right now. So for Best Picture Drama, we have Avatar The Way of Water, 
Elvis, The Fablemans, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. In Best Picture Musical Comedy, we have Babylon, The Banshees of Inishir, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, and Triangle of Sadness. Then Best Actress Motion Picture Drama, we have Kate Blanchett for Tar, Olivia Coleman for Empire of Light, Viola Davis for The Woman King, Anita Armas for Blonde, and Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. And then I'm going to go over my kind of early predictions who I think will win, won't win, so we'll go over the rest of the categories. But those are kind of the top three right now and so kind of the surprises that I had in store that I thought did really really well that morning or yesterday morning rather for the Golden Globes was the success of Babylon which was written directed by Damien Chazelle it is basically a story about the transition in early Hollywood from the silent films to the talkies and it stars Margot Robbie, Dayo Kalava, Brad Pitt and it's one that a lot of people have not seen yet it's a film that has been getting mixed reactions as of right now but i think it is perfect for the globes because it is a film about hollywood it has these big stars and it is damien chazelle who the golden globes love and they awarded big time when la la land came out in 2016 2017 and i think even though i'm surprised by the success of babylon with five nominations it got a few more acting awards than I thought it would get, I was a little bit surprised on that notion, but it makes sense that Babylon was able to have some big success in the Golden Globes yesterday morning. Another big surprise for me that I did not expect, but I'm very, very happy to see, and I think she is potentially going to have a huge award season this year, and that is Dolly DeLeon for Triangle of Sadness, who I thought was amazing in that film, and the way that she's able to switch the her character in Triangle of Sadness, where she really come, becomes the focal point of the, the second and third act of that film is incredible, and you really don't see her at the beginning of the film, but when you when she's on screen, she is magnetic and absolutely incredible, so I think she's going to have a really good award season this year, and I think the Golden Globes is just the next stop in doing that. She is on, on the bubble right now for me when it comes to getting a supporting actress nomination for the film for the Oscars, but I do think this is a really good sign for the film, and again, Hollywood Foreign Press Association. The film, even though it is is in the English language, it is very much a foreign film as well. So I think this is a film that could do well throughout award season, but to see it on this list, to see Triangle of Sadness on the list for Best Comedy, very, very happy to see that and that the film is getting some kind of success. Then another surprise for me was the fact that Olivia Coleman and Anna de Armas were nominated for Blonde, for Anna, and then, and then Empire Light for Olivia Coleman. I understand that people or rather the HFPA, they love Olivia Coleman. She is a darling on the awards circuit, whether it's in TV or movies. And so that one makes a little bit more sense to me where I can see more being about the actor than the film because other than Best Actress in Drama, Empire Light made no headway at the Globes this year whatsoever. So again, different voting bodies, but I think it just showcases that Empire Light might not have the same kind of waves that a lot, that maybe some people might suspect, even though it was directed by Sam Mendes and it has a cinematography master, Roger Deakins, behind the, the camera on that film. So that one was a little, it was surprising, but it's understandable. The one that was a little bit more surprising was the fact that Ana de Armas got in for for Blonde. And that's a movie that, again, is, is a very much of a divisive to negative film that a lot of people, I think, really vehemently do not like. I think even though it was at one point, a potential award season darling. I think the reactions that came out of the festival circuit and when it was really released for everyone to see on Netflix added more to the negative response. And so I think it really kind of dropped the film overall out of the race. And that kind of included Ana de Armas, even though you can maybe justify that she is excuse me, more on the on the bubble for Best Actress nomination, potentially down the line for the SAG or for the Oscars. I just don't think that the film overall is going to get that type of love. Clearly, the HFPA loved her in that role. I just don't see it gaining a lot of leeway moving forward. So I was surprised to see her in that, in that spot and not somebody specifically that I'll get into when it comes to my snubs. Another surprise that I really did enjoy, and I think this goes to Again, expanding the voting body and expanding the kind of palette of films that people are going to go see 
and that is a film like The Inspection, which was represented by the nomination of Jeremy Pope as a one of the nominees for Best Actor in a Drama. And I'm really happy for him. I have not seen the film yet, unfortunately. I'm hoping to see it in the next couple of weeks before the year is out so I can include it on my the films that I saw in 2022. I really like the trailers. I've heard great things about the film coming from reactions of people that have seen the film. I really like Jeremy Pope. I think he is somebody who is on the rise as an actor, and this is a film that could really help him break out and do more and bigger things down the line. So I'm happy that he gets that nomination. And again, I think because of the diversity wing, I think, again, expanding the voting body, you get a film like The Inspection Scene, and you get someone like Jeremy Pope nominated in that section as well. So I'm really happy to see him in there. Another surprise to me on the on the acting side, and it's the last one of my surprises, was seeing Adam Driver get in for White Noise. And White Noise is a film which was written directed by Noah Baumbach, who had a great run a few years ago with Netflix's Marriage Story. And a lot of people thought during the festival circuit that, again, Noah Baumbach could be another name on this, and White Noise could be another film that kind of gets going on the awards circuit. Has not happened, and I don't think it's going to happen. I think, again, people love Adam Driver. It kind of fits in what I said about Olivia Coleman. I think he is just somebody who is enamored by the HFPA. People love him as an actor and what he does. So I've heard good things about his performance. The trailers have indicated that he gives a performance you would expect Henry Driver to deliver. So again, it's a little surprising that he was the one that ended up in that category just because the film hasn't gained any kind of traction whatsoever. But again, the HFPA liked his performance in that film. So I think it makes sense that they would give him that that award. But still a little bit surprising that he he got the got the nomination and then before moving on to my predictions just some of the snubs that I wanted to kind of get into real quick and even though I mentioned again the fact that they expanded out the, the diversity wing of the HFPA they have more black members there they're trying to be more diversified there were still no women that were nominated for best directing now again when you look at the best directing category I don't know who you take off of that list they're all great directors who who directed amazing films that really had a stamp a stamp a staple and a style that is indicative for who they are as directors. So I think it, it was a little bit tough, but certainly there were a lot of great female directed films such as Women Talking, which kind of did okay. I think that's been kind of the big female led film that has kind of been kind of making the waves during award season. It did get two nominations, but nothing really kind of concrete for it in the Golden Globe. So we'll see what happens when it comes to the Screen Actors, to the Oscars, and to a lot of these other voting bodies for other awards sectors as well. But Again, for someone like Maria Schrader, who did I think did a great job for She Said, which was another great film. I just don't think that, again, it's tough to, who you're going to take out from the from the directing category to put them in there. But very much, I think, you know, you want to see them in the conversation as well. But another big surprise to me was that Tom Cruise was not nominated for Best Actor, even though that was more on the bubble than anything else. Again, I think for me, he's my number four when it comes to the Oscars. But I think the fact that he wasn't nominated here, I think, again, goes to the fact that maybe Top Gun Maverick could be the overall picture could be getting some love, but maybe not him specifically. People are going to add to the credence that Tom Cruise did deliver back his three Golden Globes that he won in the past because of the the allegations made against the HFPA, maybe the HFPA kind of retaliated against them, although they did not do that for Brandon Fraser, who accused their one of their former presidents of groping him a couple years ago. They still gave him an Academy, or not Academy Award nomination, but a nomination for Best Actor. So maybe it was because of outside circumstances, or maybe they just liked the five actors that they delivered, that delivered great performances and that they put on their list as well. But the, the big one that I think is still in contention and is still going to get an Oscar nomination, still going to have a great award season to represent this film and her performance, but did not get in this this time at the Golden Globes was Daniel Detweiler for Till. I still have her as my number three on Gold Derby for getting in for an Oscar nomination for Best Actress, but again, looking at the category for Best for best Actress in a Drama, I probably would have taken out Ana de Armas maybe 
for Daniel Detweiler. I just think she gave a, a, a way better performance than Ana de Armas did, even though Ana is still the best part of Blonde overall, and she did a great job. I, I just think with the power the power that Daniel made to Till was a lot better and a more invicative performance and just a better overall film than what Ana did in, in, in Blonde. So I would have put her on that list. So unfortunately, she didn't get in, but I think this will actually benefit her, and I think this could help her get the SAG nomination, the Oscar nomination. As long as she gets that Screen Actors Guild nomination, I think she's a, a, a good, safe bet to put in in that acting category for Best Actress. Where Again, it's going to be tough for her to win, but I do think she is still in contention to get at least a nomination. She's still my number three in that category. So those were the, the surprises and snubs that I had coming out of the Golden Globes this year. And again, some really surprising things, some unsurprising things that I wish didn't happen. But still, I think this is said to be an interesting Golden Globe ceremony. Again, there's going to be a lot of questions coming in when it comes to who's actually going to be there, who's going to show up, how big is this is this ceremony actually going to be when it comes to the overall award season, which is always the one of the, the conversation points for people when it comes to all award seasons, when it comes to award prognosticators of what it truly actually means to get a nomination at the Golden Globes and what it means it could mean for the Oscars moving forward. But still, I still think this is one that you you should look forward to. And right now, I'm going to be giving my predictions of what I think is going to win the best overall categories at the Golden Globes this year. And again, this is my early predictions. I'm going to have another kind of preview show once the Golden Globes debut on January 10th of next year. So I'm going to do kind of a final predictions, but this is kind of my very early run-of-the-mill predictions that kind of just looking at it right now, what I think is going to win on at least the film side of things. I'll go over the TV side a little bit, but I'm going to really kind of just, again, focus on my predictions of what I think will win on the film side of things. So going into the big category of the night, which is best film drama, the nominees were The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Elvis, and Avatar, The Way of Water. I still have The Fablemans as a frontrunner for a lot of my best picture overall spots on a lot of acting category or a lot of categories overall when it comes to these awards bodies. So Fablemans is still at my number one spot, but I do think Tar could potentially upset and take that best picture. The only thing working against Tar is the fact that Steven Spielberg got a nomination for Best Director and Todd Field did not get a nomination for Best Director, although he did get a nomination for Best Screenplay. So that could be a makeup where maybe they thought he did a better job with the writing than the than the, the visual aesthetic style as a director. So we'll see, but I would suspect that Tar fits into the Hollywood Foreign Press and what they're kind of their their description is, what their criteria is, and what they're looking for on a best overall film. But I still give it to The Fablements. It's Spielberg. It's about the love of movies. It's an origin story about the greatest filmmaker of all time. So I would suspect that Fablements is the one to beat in this category as of right now. And again, I could change that once the, the weekend is upon us for Golden Globes. But right now, I'm having The Fablements stick at number one. Then moving to best film drama or best film actress drama, the nominees are Kate Blanchett, Michelle Williams, Olivia Coleman, you have Viola Davis, Ana de Armas, and Michelle Williams as well. So looking at this category, I think right now, right away, I think the front runner, bar none, is Kate Blanchett for Tar. I do think that Michelle Williams is the runner-up in this category. I think who will win should win. I think that goes to Kate Blanchett at the moment. I just think she commanded that film from the very beginning and she did not let go. You go to see that film because of the magnetic performance that she delivers and I just think it was an overall just one of her best performances in a long, long time. Then moving to the second biggest category of the night, which is going to be Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy. The nominees are Babylon, The Banshees of Inishirin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Glass, Onion, and Knives, That Mystery, and Triangle of Sadness. And I give my vote and my win to what will win is going to be The Banshees of Inishirin. I think because, again, it's leading with eight nominees, 
Obviously, the Hollywood Foreign Press very much loved that film. Otherwise, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been the film that led in terms of nominations. So I, I would give that the edge right now. I think a lot of people love what Martin McDonough did with that film. I think, again, the fact that you had great acting between Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Kerry Condon, Barry Keenan, I think that very much they really enjoy that film. Uh, the film that I think could or should win it, I think is Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's just it's a completely original film. It's everything that you would want to see in a Hollywood film. And just in terms of bold, crazy ideas that somehow work in a film, but at the center of it, it's about really this family that is trying to come together and support one another. And with even though you have all these crazy things going on, that is the center of the film. And it's been doing very well in the awards circuit right now. So that could be the film that I think should win it and I think could potentially upset the Banshees of Inishir. And if there's one that I think you could potentially look out for, it is the Triangle of Sadness could be a dark horse in this race. I think it is one that could very much upset. It did win the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. It has a few nominations, specifically Dolly De Leon for Best Supporting Actress. But again, I still think Banshees of Inishirin is the front runner in that category. Then moving on to Best Actor in a Motion Picture Drama, the nominees are Austin Butler for Elvis, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Hugh Jackman for The Sun, Bill Nye for Living, and Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. Looking at this category right now, my front runner, even though there is baggage between the Hollywood Foreign Press and Brandon Fraser, I still think they're going to look at the body of work that he did in The Whale. Even though I have not seen the film, I'm looking forward to seeing the next couple of days. I think he's the front runner in this category. Excuse me. I think he is somebody that is very much still in competition for the Oscar. And so I think this is another step in him getting potentially moving to that victory in the long run. If there is somebody that I think could upset Brendan Fraser, I do think there is a swarm of love for Elvis. And if there is a film just overall throughout... The, the all the categories that it is nominated for, the three specifically, Best Actor, Best Picture, Best Director, which we'll get into in a little bit, Elvis is the one that could upset a lot of these categories. I think Austin Butler is the leading charge in that. I think he could very much potentially upset here. The Hollywood Foreign, or at least the old Hollywood Foreign Press Association loved kind of handing out new blood awards and they like doing that on the tv side so maybe austin butler gets this award but i'm still sticking by my guns that brennan frazier is the front runner and will not let that go and he is going to be the winner for that trophy then moving on to some of the other categories, Best Actress in a Motion Picture or Comedy. The nominees are Leslie Manfilm for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Mogo Robbie for Babylon, Anya Taylor-Joy for The Menu, Emma Thompson for Good Luck to Leo Grande, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Even though I love Anya Taylor-Joy in The Menu, I'm very excited to see what Margot Robbie does in Babylon. To me, this is a runaway shoe-in. Basically a lock at this point, I think, even though it's still early on and it could change, but if you were to make a ballot right now, I always say if there's a, a film that or a performance or something that you can just lock away right away not think about it this would be one of those for me right now and that would be Michelle Yeoh she was fantastic she's going to be in consideration overall in the best actress category and to me even though all these performances are great or most likely great in terms of Margot Robbie who again I have not seen yet I still think Michelle Yeoh delivers a phenomenal performance and will win that category by a landslide probably for best actress in a musical or a comedy Moving on to Best Actor in a Motion Picture Musical Comedy. The nominees are Diego Calava for Babylon, Daniel Craig for Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, Adam Driver for White Noise, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishir, and Ray Fiennes for The Menu. Again, kind of like Michelle Yeoh. I don't think there's a lot of competition in this category. Great to see Daniel Craig in there. Great to see, again, Diego Calva, who I think was kind of that big surprise that pushed some surprise eyes on Babylon doing so well at the Globes this year. But I think Colin Farrell is another big-time contender this award season. And again, Banshees is the most nominated film this year with eight. I think he very much is the frontrunner in this category right now. Moving on to Best Actress in a Motion Picture, the nominees are... Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inishirin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Dolly DeLeon for Triangle of Sadness, and Carrie Mulligan for She Said. Now, 
Again, very early on, I at first had Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. However, again, like I was saying about some of the other categories where they like to deliver new blood, they like to deliver kind of an upset, do something unconventional with what people think the overall winner should be. And I think this year it's going to be that specific case with Best Supporting Actress. And even though I thought Angela Bassett could be the front runner. I do think right now the person that could win this award and could shock a lot of people, even though she's my number one right now, is Dali Delion for the Triangle of Sadness. Like I was saying before about her, when it came to surprises, she was one of, if not the best acting parts, or one of the best parts, period, of that entire film. She carries the ending of that film on her shoulders, and she's just an absolute magnetic presence on the screen, and she delivers a truly unforgettable performance in that film. So I think Dolly DeLeon would be my front runner for this position for Triangle of Sadness. And then moving on to the Best Supporting Actor category. The nominees in this select slate are Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inishirin, Barry Keegan for The Banshees of Inishirin, Brad Pitt for Babylon, Kihue Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Eddie Redmayne for The Good Nurse. And like Michelle Yeoh, again, I think if there's some competition, it's coming from Brendan Gleeson, but I do think that the front runner in this category, and I think he's going to be the front runner throughout all of award season in this category, in every single award show, is going to be Kiwi Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think this is, it's a mixture of a phenomenal performance, but also just a great Hollywood story of a guy who was an adored childhood actor, went away for a long time, was doing some stuff, but nothing big, and then he comes back into the kind of the Hollywood spotlight with a film like this. I think it's his to lose at this point. Just overall, it's, this is his category to lose. I think he's going to be, this is just going to continue to add to that performance and to that kind of run for him. And so Kiwi Kwan is my front runner to win this position right now. Then moving on to Best Director, the nominees in this category are James Cameron for the Ab- for Avatar, The Way of Water, The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Baz Luhrmann for Elvis, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inishirin, and Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. Now, as of now, I would put Steven Spielberg as my frontrunner, but when we come back to this a few weeks from now, I would not be surprised if Martin McDonough swaps out Steven Spielberg for this position. Again, it just goes to the fact that the Banshees of Inishirin has a lot of momentum with the nominations that this film could very much kind of clean house for the most part at the Globes on January 10th. But right now, Steven Spielberg would be the one that I have as a front runner. And again, like I was saying about Austin Butler and Best Actor in a Drama, I think Basil Lerman is a dark horse in this race, and Elvis could surprise a lot of people that night. I think it's a dark horse throughout all of award season. I think it's a film that's going to sneak up on a lot of people in nominations. Other than Austin Butler, who I think is very much in play, Baz Luhrmann is somebody who I think could sneak up on the bubble in terms of best director for the Oscars. And I think he's going to, it could happen in DGA. I think he's very much in play this award season. So Baz Luhrmann is somebody who don't sleep on him. Very much a dark horse in this race right now. But my front runner to win this is still very much Steven Spielberg. Then moving on to best screenplay in a motion picture, the nominees are Todd Field for Tar. The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inishirin, Sarah Polly, who is who got this nomination for Women Talking, and Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. So right now, again, I have the Fablemans as the front runner in this position. I think either Banshees or Everything Everywhere All at Once could upset and take this screenplay award. I just think that again, right now, the fact that I think Spielberg was able to do a great job in balancing being a very personal film about his life, but also making it about movies and movie making, movie magic. I think he just told a really good line that sometimes other other films about directors like maybe a Roma or even a a a Belfast or a something along the lines of a Bardo or even Armageddon Time, which just came out this year with from James Gray, which is about his childhood. This does a lot of other things as well. And basically, if you were to just tell me that this is about a family who is just kind of just, it's just 
going through life right now and it's about a kid who falls in love with film and and it's about him his family his life and you weren't to tell me it was about Spielberg I think I still would have enjoyed it because it focuses on the family of the Fablemans and if you were to tell me that's a fictional family which it kind of still is even though it's based on Spielberg's life I would have believed it. So I just think he did a great job with the screenplay for it. But creatively, everything is, is I think, a little bit more of a creative screenplay than Fableman's. But with what the Banshees was able to do as a screenplay as well is pretty remarkable. So, again, I have Fableman's, but wouldn't be surprised if everything or Banshees takes that top spot as well. And then one of just a final, a, a few quick other predictions that I want to go through on the film side, Best Picture Animated. You have Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. You have No, you have Marcel, the show with shoes on, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and then Turning Red. I do think that as of right now, the odds-on favorite for this category at the Globes and just overall is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I have not seen it yet, but I've heard great things about it. People within the award sphere love Guillermo del Toro, so I would not be surprised if he delivers yet again on giving us a really, really awesome film in Pinocchio. And then moving on to Best Picture Non-English Language, the nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Argentina 1985, Close from the Netherlands, France, and Belgium, Decision to Leave from South Korea, and Triple R from India. I was going to put Triple R on this list, but I don't know if that's going to be on the Academy's level if, if they'll like that film. So I do think All Quiet on the Western Front could win that category. So we'll see how that plays out. So I have that right now as my front runner to win the award. And then finally, the last two categories to get into best score motion picture. You have The Banshees of Inishirin, Pinocchio, Women Talking, Babylon, and The Fablemans. I do think that people like what Justin Hurwitz did in Babylon. So that would be my front runner at this point. And then best song for motion picture. You have a song from Triple R. You have a song from Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. You have the song from Carolina from Taylor Swift. You have the song from Lady Gaga for Top Gun Maverick. Then, of course, Rihanna's song from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. If it was my choice, I would very much have Hold My Hand. I I think that's a phenomenal song. But... I would not, again, looking at the old Hollywood Forum Press, they could go with the Taylor Swift or maybe they could go with the Rihanna. I'm not sure. That's still one that's kind of a toss-up for me at this point. So I'll go with Lift Me Up from Black Panther. I would go Hold My Hand and then I would go Carolina from Where the Crawl That Sing. Those would be my top three right now. And then to go to TV real quick, I'm not going to go through all the categories, but I think I think a big winner for the night because especially on TV the the HFPA loves to give new blood to a lot of people to see. And a lot of love to New Blood. I do think Severance is going to be a big winner on the night. I would not be surprised if it upsets and takes the best drama series. I think Abbott Elementary, which was the most nominated TV show of the Golden Globes this year, wins best comedy. Although I wouldn't be surprised if The Bear pulls off a couple upsets as well. I think you're going to have a big night for when it comes to Zendaya, who got nominated for Best Television Actress Drama Series. I think she could win once again. Again, even though the 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 HFP likes to give new blood, they like to kind of it kind of correlates with some of the the Emmy voting as well. So I think that could very well happen for her as well. Great to see Diego Luna get some love for Andor, which was represented here. I think Quinta Brunson is going to win for Best Actress. So and also when it comes to limited series, I think White. Lotus is going to set to have a really good night. You have Jennifer Coolidge and Aubrey Plaza nominated for Best Supporting Actress. So I think there's going to be a lot of love for these television shows overall. So again, those are some of my predictions on the Golden Globes, both on on the film side and on TV as well. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And again, it's going to be more of a barometer for where these shows and these areas are going to be going down the line. So what do you guys think about this? Let me know and leave your thoughts. Now to move on to some other movie news that is going on around the world of Hollywood. I want to get to a film that I think is going to be a potentially big award season contender next year in 2023 and potentially is going to be one of the just biggest films in general of next year. And that, of course, is the brand new Christopher Nolan film, 
Oppenheimer, which is basically going to be the director taking on an autobiographical film. And the only way Nolan can really do it, which is to go big or go home. And it's going to be based off of the life of Oppenheimer, who was really kind of the architect of the atom bomb during the Second World War. And it's got a star-studded cast that includes Celia Murphy, who really gets his time to shine is really the first time that I've really ever seen him be a lead in a feature film. And he's been working with Nolan for so long on Inception, the Dark Knight trilogy. I think very much this is this is his time to shine. You also have a great supporting cast that has Emily Blunt playing Oppenheimer's wife. You have Robert Downey Jr. You have Matt Damon. You have Florence Pugh. It's just, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal list of people. And I could go on and on, but those are really kind of the main heavy hitters of this movie when just kind of dwindling it down and total film has kind of the first look of the movie they had the first exclusive images and the details of what nolan is going to be doing with this film and so looking at the pictures real quick it's very much a mixture of black and white footage with color images and when you looked at the first teaser trailer that came out a lot of the actual footage it seemed like of the film even though it was a quick minute teaser was in black and white well apparently according to the first look that that total film got no one was telling them that as Nolan would do, because Christopher Nolan innovates like this, he is going to be creating IMAX cameras, or he he had uh, had camera companies that make the IMAX cameras that he usually works with on a lot of his films. He's going to have them, he had them make IMAX cameras that were able to shoot in black and white, and Oppenheimer is going to be the first film to have IMAX cameras shoot in black and white material. And just, again, from seeing the first few footage material that we saw in that teaser trailer on the IMAX screen, it looked incredible. So I'm excited to see more of that down the line. And then kind of like how he did in his in his last film with Tenet, where he actually blew up a 747 jet, a legit 747 jet at an airport, he's going to be doing something along those lines once again, where, again, because we're dealing with the atomic bond and, and, and nuclear material and nuclear bombs, one of the events is recreating the first nuclear explosion, and it seems like Nolan is not doing CGI with that either. That again, he's very much a practical person, even though he invokes CGI material, he wants to make it as real as possible. And he's going to do that once again with this nuclear explosion where he did it without the usage of CGI whatsoever. So I have no idea how he was able to pull that off, how he was able to utilize that, what it entails. Hopefully we learn more about that in the coming months. But I mean, again, just hearing some of the things that he just talked about and some of the excerpts that I saw from these articles. Again, it sounds like Nolan is trying to be different in a very unconventional way when making a conventional film. He, I think he did that with Dunkirk, where it was the the scope and the scale and the production of a war film, but he also utilized a great story aspect that he has dealt with in all of his films really, and it's a huge theme throughout him, is time. And how time is gonna and how time is utilized between three different aspects of the event surrounding Dunkirk. And he made a different kind of war film that was very effective. And then he went back to sci-fi with Tenet and now he's doing a biopic, but it's going to be very unconventional. And that's the way that Christopher Nolan just does a lot of these films. And I don't know how he's going to do it, because when I heard that he was doing an Oppenheimer film next, I was just thinking, how is that going to fit into the the, the motion picture spectacle that Christopher Nolan loves to do? And again, from the teaser trailer that I saw, it seems like he was able to invoke that. And he's going to build off the tension of the events that Oppenheimer is associated with so I'm very excited to see what all of that kind of entails and I think one of the things that I'm very interested to see is him kind of going back to the exploration of black and white he hasn't really kind of utilized the the transition of going from black and white to color since his early film specifically when it comes to memento where when it comes when it came to the different timelines he used black and white for one time area and then color for another and it kind of represented the flashbacks or the flash forwards and what was the past what was the present and i'm wondering if he's going to be exploring that but on a bigger scale with oppenheimer so uh, 
again, even though we have all these great directors, even though I consider Steven Spielberg to be the GOAT, James Cameron is the king, Christopher Nolan is the master, and he is the master of his craft right now. He is still the best filmmaker when it comes to right now, even though it's kind of like Tom Brady nowadays. When you talk about sports, and specifically the NFL, you have Tom Brady, who's the greatest of all time, that's Steven Spielberg, but you have these young stars kind of coming in right now. And sure, we have a lot of actual legitimate young people in directing in the directing circle coming in right now, but still the guy who was kind of the, the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes of filmmaking right now is still Christopher Nolan. He's just able to deliver in all these big aspects and make it worth your money to go see these films on the biggest screen possible. And I'm very excited to see what he does with this film. It's ambitious. He's asking a lot from Universal, who he jumped ship to after the kind of tumultuous ending that he had with Warner Brothers between the handling of, of Tenant with the pandemic and then everything that happened with Warner Media at the time when it was owned by AT&T and run by Jason Keelar with going day and date from on in theaters and on streaming didn't sit well with Nolan, so he decided to jump ship and move over to Universal and Comcast for his next film. And it's as of reportedly right now, without marketing and advertising, it's a hundred million dollar biopic movie basically that Nolan is making. And that never really happens unless your name is Christopher Nolan or very few people can uh, uh, can ask for that kind of money for a film like this. So we'll see what he's able to do with the film, but I like what they're detailing right now. I like what they're kind of talking about the, the way that he's going about making this film. And we're going to see more of it, especially if you go to IMAX theaters this weekend for Avatar The Way of Water. It was just announced earlier today that there will be a IMAX exclusive premiering on the IMAX release of Avatar The Way of Water. So if you're looking forward to more Oppenheimer, if you're looking forward to what is probably going to be one of the most exciting pre-shows in the history of theater going ever with the amount of trailers and exclusives that are going to be coming out during the Avatar Way of Water run-up is very, very exciting. And this is just going to be one of those added details as well. This film is coming out on July 21st of next year, so still got a long ways to go, but before we know it, the summer movie season will be here, July will be here, and we'll be getting geared up for the latest from Christopher Nolan. What do you guys think about this news about his latest film, Oppenheimer? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Then speaking of trailers that will most likely be attached to Avatar The Way of Water, we've gotten a bunch of those trailers over the last couple of weeks, and the latest came out today for the highly anticipated animated sequel to arguably one of the best comic book films to come out in recent memory, one of the best comic book films to come out all time, one of the best animated films to come out potentially of all time. And that, of course, is the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It sees the return of Phil Lord and Chris Miller as producers, but it has three brand new directors behind the chair this time in Joaquin Dos Santos, Kem Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. It sees the return of Shamik Moore as my, voicing Miles Morales, Haley Steinfeld returning to voice Gwen Stacy, Jake Johnson returning to voice Peter B. Parker, and a whole list of brand new people that includes Issa Rae, Daniel Kaluuya, Brian Tyree Henry is returning, you have Jason Schwartzman, you have Shea Wingham, and of course, coming into play Spider-Man 2099, the one and only Oscar Isaac voicing that role. And again, I am somebody who loved Into the Spider-Verse. It was my, I believe it was my favorite film, or no, my second favorite film. Yeah, my second favorite film of 2018. My first one was Searching, but loved Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which it got more love at the box office. But I think it's a film that actually benefited from going to a streaming service like Netflix, where I think it got a lot more love, a lot more views. And hopefully that will benefit to more people going to see this in theaters than originally did in 2018. And then to go into some of the synopsis for Across the, the, the Spider-Verse, this is how it reads. Miles Morales returns for the next chapter of the Oscar-winning Spider-Verse saga, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. After reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse, where he encounters a team of Spider-People charged with protecting its very existence. But when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other Spiders and must redefine what it means to be a hero so he can save the people he loves most. And 
Again, I think this film did, the, the previous film did a great job in so many different avenues in a lot of different aspects. I think it changed the game for animation. It did a great job of kind of uh, showcasing different styles of animation in one movie that includes 3D animation, 2D, stop motion, anime into one big melting pot. And it worked so incredibly well. I think the message of Into the Spider-Verse where it's basically anybody, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what ethnicity, heritage you come from, anybody can wear the Spider-Man mask basically and be a superhero. I think it was a great message for a lot of people, for anybody. I think it spans generations that can relate to that message. And so it's I'm very excited to see how they continue those messages in this movie, but then develop new ideas at the same time as well. And Looking at the trailer for this film, it just seems like they're continuing that. And the animation looks like it's just going bigger and crazier. According to Eric Davis, it according to a tweet that he put out, this boost, or boast, excuse me, the largest crew ever assembled for an animated movie. It features 240 characters and takes place in six different universes. And there's and from the creators, they talked about how they're continuing to blend in all these different animated styles. And you see that in the trailer. And so they just know what they're doing at this point and again sometimes a sequel what a sequel can do is is benefit you in so many ways where you know the things that work and you improve upon the things that didn't work or you shed away the things that didn't work and you just go upon the things that people really liked about these films and I think they're going to be doing that in this movie and the fact that we're going to be journeying across the multiverse, as the film says, across the Spider-Verse, whereas the first film was very much about other universes coming to Miles' universe. This is Miles going to other universes, and I think that's a great way to evolve the story and make it different and new, but also keep the consistency from the previous film at the same time. And I also love how, again, it just there's that one shot where you just zoom out and you see all these different Spider-Verses. I think I saw one of the YouTube reactors call out a hall of spiders and that's pretty much what it looked like. It, it looked like just an amalgamation of so many different Spider-Man across comics and video games and movies and I think it's going to be fun if you're an Easter egg person to kind of pluck out each and every single aspect both in the trailer and when the movie comes out next year as well and so I'm really really excited about this film and I'm hoping that it's able to be a big box office success because I think that's the thing that this film needs to accomplish when it comes out next year and the same thing for the sequel when it comes out in March of 2024 which is titled Beyond the Spider-Verse is you you know people are on board you know People who saw the film loved it, but it's about getting people to go see it in theaters now. And again, we're going to be another year kind of removed from the pandemic and the worst of it. And next year has a plethora of movies coming out. And this is one that is very much primed to be in a position in the summer movie season to do something legitimate and and and, and have some big success overall. So I hopefully people are excited about this film. Go out and see the movie. It's gonna it's gonna be in a doggy dog month in June. This is coming out at the very beginning of that month, specifically on June 2nd, but it's going to have a lot of competition its way between The Flash, which is going to be another big live action film that is going to be coming from the DC universe that a lot of people are excited about in the middle of June. And then, of course, you're going to have another animated film coming from its competition in Disney Pixar's Elemental. And then, of course, at the end of the month, you're going to have another big, highly anticipated film blockbuster coming out in the latest in Indiana Jones and the Dial destiny so spider-man across the spider-verse is gonna have its work cut out for it it's gonna have to do very well its opening weekend and somehow sustain a level of legs that is gonna be very very tough for itself so we'll see how it's gonna shape out but it's set for its june 2nd 2023 release date hopefully it's a big hit hopefully it, it gains more than it did its original opening weekend and it has the legs to sustain itself throughout the course of next year's summer movie season but overall i love the trailer love how it invoked flashbacks from the previous film but again look forward to what we're going to be excited about in the next film tease kind of a civil war between these spider characters moving forward that i'm very very excited about and i'm really really looking forward to this film down the line what did you guys think about the trailer from spider-man across the spider-verse 
first. Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, make sure to check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzel Media Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Also, you can find me on my YouTube channel at The Sam Bissell Podcast. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.